our kids all went to preschool. And they went to a preschool that was operated and funded by a Presbyterian church right here in Nicholasville. And there were three ladies that ran this preschool and they were amazing. I love these women. They reminded me of the fairy godmothers from Sleeping Beauty. They were awesome. It really was the best preschool ever. Except for one thing. It changed the way my kids prayed for one or two years when they started there. So Jillian, before she went to preschool, at age three and four years old, would pray like this. Oh, God. Oh, you're so beautiful. I love you, God, and the world you made. Oh, what a good job you did. I love you. I love the world. Oh. Thank you. Come on. How awesome is that? But after she started preschool, her prayers changed. And they went like this. God is great. God is good. Now I thank him for my food. Amen. (sighs) When I was a kid... Back in the 1970s, anyone who prayed publicly prayed in the King James English. My grandpa Vanderpool prayed this way. Every pastor I had prayed this way. Anyone who prayed for Thanksgiving dinner prayed this way. Our Heavenly Father, we beseech thee on this great day that thy would answer and incline thine ear unto us and shower us with thy great goodness, O Heavenly Father. They would pray like that. And I couldn't keep the these and thou straight, so maybe that's why I never prayed on my own until college. But it, it begs the question, how did you learn to pray? How did you learn to pray? Who taught you how to pray? Was it a family member? Was it a church or a group? Who taught you the language of prayer, the words to use and what to say? And when you pray now, what are the kinds of things that you pray about? I find it interesting that Jesus' disciples, who were taught from the earliest ages as good Jewish boys would have been taught, they were taught what to pray, how to pray, when to pray, These men wanted Jesus to teach them how to pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, there were some things that set apart John the Baptist, and that's the John this disciple's referring to. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River. He wore a a coat or an outer garment made of coarse camel hair, itchy, scratchy camel hair. And then he ate locusts and wild honey 
few weeks ago, I, I taught from Daniel 1, and, and I made mention of the fact that even today, people will take a Daniel fast. They'll have a diet of fresh fruits and vegetables and water. Go on a John the Baptist fast sometime. Have your diet be locusts and whatever wild honey you can find. Yeah, that'll go over well. So there was something about John the Baptist, and in particular, there was a way that John the Baptist prayed and a way that his disciples prayed that set them apart. And this disciple is asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. That's all I want to unpack today. That first little part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. First of all, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. And remember, when you see you in the Bible, it almost always is what we say in the South, all y'all. This is how all y'all should pray when all y'all are together and praying. <laughs> Our Father. This prayer is a communal prayer. Jesus wants his followers to recite it together. Not my Father, but our Father. And so when we pray it, we pray it as a family. We pray it as brothers and sisters with all the rights and privileges and, and yes, obligations that come with being family. What you may not realize is that this prayer is actually a fulfillment of a promise made to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the prophet says this, in those days, the people of Judah and Israel will return together from exile in the north. They will return to the land I gave your ancestors as an inheritance forever. And then God is speaking here and God says, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I looked forward to your calling me father and I wanted you never to turn from me again the your calling me is all y'all calling me father this vision of Jeremiah chapter 3 is when Israel and Judah return from exile and it's a time when God would draw together one global family under one father so we pray our father May your name be kept holy. In Jesus' day, the Jews regularly prayed that God would sanctify his name, that God would make his name holy. And again, the prophets promised that when the Jews, when the Israelites, when, when they return from exile, God will do just that. In Isaiah chapter 29, we're told, for when they see their many children and all, and all the blessings I have given them, they will recognize the holiness of the Holy One of Jacob. They will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And then in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will show how holy my great name is. 
the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. The Jews of Jesus' day regularly prayed that God would sanctify his name. And as Jesus' disciples pray this together, they're asking God to bring history to its climax. They're basically saying, hey God, do that thing that through Isaiah and Ezekiel you promised you would do when your name would be kept holy. Do what you have promised. And then Jesus says, you are to pray this. You are to say, may your kingdom come soon. This is actually a, uh, uh, this is actually a direct answer to a prayer and a promise verbalized through the prophet Micah in Micah chapter four, verses one through eight. And Micah is the scriptural backdrop to this petition in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, may your kingdom come. So let me read these verses to you. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, his word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between peoples, and will settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees for there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. Though the nations around us follow their idols, we will follow the Lord our God forever and ever. In that coming day, says the Lord, I will gather together those who are lame, those who have been exiles, and those whom I have filled with grief. Those who are weak will survive as a remnant. Those who were exiles will become a strong nation, and then I, the Lord, will rule from Jerusalem as their king forever. As for you, Jerusalem, the citadel of God's people, your royal might and power will come back to you again. The kingship will be restored to my precious Jerusalem. Literally in Hebrew, it says, the kingship of Jerusalem's daughter shall arrive. The Jews of Jesus' day were awaiting the arrival of a kingdom. And Jesus' disciples, when they pray together and ask God, they're asking God to bring this very kingdom that God has promised countless times throughout the prophets of the Old Testament that he would do and that he would bring. In fact, it's so important that Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 that they should seek the kingdom of God above all else 
and live righteously and God will give you everything you need. So I gotta ask, what is the kingdom of God? What is this thing that we pray when we pray the Lord's prayer and we say, may your kingdom come? Who's in it? Who's a part of it? When's it coming? Is it here? Is it coming later on? How is it gonna come? Why is this so important? May your kingdom come. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Where do you think history is heading? And what do you really think God is up to in the world today? Let me give some practical ways to take this home. First and foremost, if we see anything in this, the very first section of the Lord's Prayer, it's that prayer isn't just a you and God thing, it's an us and God thing. Our Father. <clears throat> Secondly, we see that God is doing something to fulfill what he promised. It's the very thing the prophets foretold. It's the very thing the Jews were awaiting. It's here, it's happening, and you and I get to be part of it. And then lastly, whatever the kingdom of God is, it has to be more than just my individual inner life. <clears throat> There's this idea that pervades Christianity in America that says that Christianity or religion is primarily a thing of the heart. And it has to do with my inward, private, secret life. This was popularized in the 1800s by a woman <clears throat> named Louisa May Alcott. She wrote, the day I came to believe in Jesus is the day he set up his kingdom in my heart. It's the same idea in a song that we sing. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let me ask, let me ask you, is that what the prophets foretold? Is that what the Jews were awaiting? Is that what Jesus proclaimed and lived that God would set up tiny little kingdoms in people's individual hearts? Shh. Is that it? No, 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 no. When we pray, may your kingdom come, it isn't just about our hearts. It isn't just about our inner life. It is so much bigger. I want to read a passage from Pastor Greg Boyd. And he summarizes this so well. Uh, and he's speaking on the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Pastor Boyd says this, the kingdom of God, in a nutshell, is the primary thing God is up to in our world. He's not primarily about getting people to pray a magical sinner's prayer or to confess certain magical truths as a means of escaping hell. He's not about gathering together a group who happen to believe all the right things. Rather, 
God is about gathering together a group of people who embody the kingdom, who individually and corporately manifest the new reality of the reign of God on the earth. And he's about growing this new kingdom through his body to take over the world. This vision of what God is about lies at the heart of Jesus' ministry, and it could not contrast with the kingdom of the world more sharply. I hope that as I start this teaching series on the kingdom of God, that we at Generations Community Church would have a heart and a mindset not unlike the disciples that we see in Luke 11, where we would say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that secondly, when we pray, may your kingdom come, we would know what it is we're asking for.